0: What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, because where there's pain, there might also be profit. That was the case for today's guest. He was seeing some traction with his podcast, the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, but was struggling to keep up with all the off-air tasks, the show notes, the editing, the social media. For Pete Makaitis, that pain turned into AwesomePros.co, a niche drop servicing company that's now doing ten grand a month in recurring revenue. Here's how he set out to solve his own
1: problem first by tapping into the global talent pool. I was just stubborn enough to think, surely someone in these places is great at the English language (laughs) if I could just find them. And so what happened was this just epic quest of me trying to crack, what is the method by which I can find and select folks who really do have these skills? And I did. And it's quite elaborate what we make our, our prospective hires jump through. But it has proven time and time again that, yep, if folks can pass all of this elaborate application testing hurdles, then they've got the goods to, to deliver well. And they are, in fact, delighting our clients today. Stick around in this
0: episode to hear how Pete and his co-founder, Brian Carney, took this from being just an in-house solution to offering it up to other podcasters. You'll learn how they've grown their client roster, and we'll also cover some of that hiring process, the cold email tactics that worked, and how to figure out the niche and the pricing if you're going to go down and replicate this in another vertical, because that's really what I want to highlight here. Both Pete and Brian are playing in the owner box rather than the technician box. And when you're thinking like that, a whole new world of potential services open up to you. Because you don't have to be the expert anymore. You're a matchmaker between qualified pros and clients that need help. This is running a bricklaying company versus being a bricklayer. This is running a dog-walking company versus walking dogs. So I actually put together a big list of service business ideas that this drop servicing model could potentially be applied to. You'll find that at SideHustleNation.com slash awesome. You can download that for free over there. Again, SideHustleNation.com slash awesome or through the show notes link in the episode description of your podcast player app. Now, how do you bridge that matchmaker gap? Pete had found his talented workforce, but would anybody else pay for their help? That's
1: where the story starts. Ready? Let's do it. I had some great folks in a podcast mastermind group, and I sort of told them about this, and they said, oh, I finally found this person. They're so helpful, and they're so good. And it's like, and I've got a little bit of extra capacity, you know, because I actually have two people and I I need like (laughs) 1.7, but but I have two. So from time to time, if you need some help, they say, oh, I do. And so then I a couple of people in my mastermind group signed up and said, oh, yeah, this is great. This is so helpful. So good. Thank you. And then I spoke at Podcast Movement a bit about sort of my processes for how to produce a show in, in less time teamed up with Rich Jones, who's awesome, of paychecks and balances. And I said, oh, and by the way, I've got a little bit of capacity. Someone in the audience you know, hired us uh, again there. And, and so I said, okay, well, so at this point, it's, it's still me. And I've got just a couple extra clients. I'm like, okay, this is cool. And I thought, boy, this could really be a thing, but man, I don't have the time to do this, you know, business development stuff to really make this thing fly. I mean, I've I've got the secret sauce, I think, when it comes to hiring and we could scale, but I, I need someone who's got sales skills. And then Brian entered my life and I said, hey, are you interested in growing this thing? And well, Brian, I'll let you take it from there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically the conversation with Pete And again, this is really the height of the pandemic. This is maybe March. So right when places started shutting down. And before this, I had been in the startup world, working for a venture-backed startup that was not quite able to raise its next round of funding. So a lot of the team had to be laid off. I was talking to Pete about this and I don't remember the exact conversation, but it went something along the lines of, hey, Brian, you don't have a job, right? I'm like, "Um, well, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> he's like, and you're good at sales, right? I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I did. And he's like, well, let's try to grow this thing. I think it's got some legs and I think we'd be good partners. So the rest is kind of history. That was the main conversation. And then it was just ironing out details, Pete teaching me his uh, process that came out of his epic quest to hire. From there on, we just kind of started going at it. As Pete said, it was not initially actually podcasting. That was not our niche we were looking for. We were not really looking for a niche. We kind of forgot the whole riches are in the niches thing. And we just said, you know what? We hire the best virtual assistants that can read and write in English, often better than most US college graduates, and you can train them to do anything. But when we looked at the customers we were getting, every single one was a podcaster. And they all had us doing the exact same thing. We're like, you know what? Let's kind of double down and really focus on this podcasting market. It's what Pete knows. It's what I had started to dabble in. And now I'm in a little bit more. And it's what we're really good at. So that is (laughs) where we came about with the specialization of producing podcasts for people.
0: Okay. That's interesting to say, well, we started out a little bit broad, But by virtue of the people in our network, the people who were kind of reaching out to us already, it just happened to be podcasters to say, well, let's just say that's what we do. That's what we focus on. It's so much easier, I believe, to stand out to be the go-to resource for show notes for podcast editing versus like, you know, jack of all trades, virtual assistant type of service. And even then there are, and, and still are today, like dozens of different services that can write your show notes for you, that can edit your show for you, what gave you the confidence or what was the kind of the competitive differentiation or competitive advantage
1: that gave you guys the confidence to say, yeah, we can make a dent in this market? Well, you know, and, and Nick, that's a great point. And, and Brian and I, we've, we've talked about it a few times, like in some ways, we're not super innovative. <laughs> you know, I, I think you know, we're kind of like plumbers in that you need plumbers, and plumbers aren't particularly cutting edge in terms of technology and, and offers, but you need them in every city, and they help things work, and it's important. And, and so, it, it's good to have them. I think, though, what we found is that because our workers are operate at a lower wage base, they're actually able to spend more hours of quality, loving care and attention on a show. And so what's interesting is like sometimes if folks are are really trying to crank out show notes in an hour or an hour and a half because that's what's necessary to make it economically sort of viable and worthwhile further hours, they can be kind of more shallow or less sort of rich and, and, and thoughtfully summarized, like, what's the core idea here? And likewise, it's impressive what some audio whizzes can do, whip it through an hour show in less than an hour. Like, wow, that's impressive. I could not do that. But that also comes with it, the risk of some more mistakes and, and less sort of loving attention associated with the trims. So in a way, Nick, we're not all that different, but we are a little bit different in terms of the ability to have a, a little bit more tender loving care in terms of just how much time is spent on a given episode.
0: Yeah. A couple of things are standing out to me here. And number one is this team members first, like workers first, which was the same as Anthony and Junoka Hartzog mentioned in their kind of drop servicing cleaning business. where it's like, we got to go find qualified cleaners before we ever go out and market for our first customers. Because what happens if we get a customer? Now it's on us to go fulfill the job. And that's not necessarily what we want to be doing. So it was talent first or or labor first, in this case, to go and get the job done. And then kind of niche second. And, you know, tapping into this rising tide. And we talked about different areas like podcasting being the rising tide I'm talking about here. Where it's like, there's more and more podcasters coming into the fold. So you said, we're not super innovative. We didn't have to be because there's, you know, this pie just keeps getting bigger. And same thing kind of in the home services space where more and more people are outsourcing their cleaning or outsourcing their lawn care or, you know, whatever it may be. Just like, you know, we're becoming very specialized. And, you know, with the rise of these specialized services, it's easy enough to say, look, I don't have to deal with that anymore. I'll just hire somebody else to do that because that's what they do. Brian, what happened next? So you you come on board, you say, I, yeah, i got some sales background. What works next to go out and try and fill uh, fill a client roster here?
2: So really what happened next was that searching for a niche. We were looking really between two main ones, then a third we were kind of looking at. But the two main ones were podcasts and YouTube. And it was really how do we get in front of these people? Podcasts, you can typically find contact information for the podcast host. So my background was actually predominantly outbound sales, so meeting people, talking to them in person. But with the help of some really cool online courses, like a Ramit Sethi course, and a a sales folk is the name of the company that was the other course, I really taught myself how to do outbound email prospecting. So we got some of that going, emailing, just cold emailing, podcast hosts, which I'm sure you are familiar with getting probably hundreds of those a week. (laughs) So it is really just how to stand out, how to show that, hey, we're a real company. We're going to be around for a long time. We've got a good service at a good price. And if you're looking for that good service at a good price, let's set up a call and I will get on the phone with you, see how we can help and move forward from there. So yeah, it was really just a lot of cold outbound emails. Was there any sub-niche
0: beyond just like, well, I can find a directory of top podcasts and I'm going to go down the list one to 200?
2: At the beginning, there was kind of two ways. Pete had a awesome list that he had put together with, I think, Fancy Hands, right, Pete?
0: Hey, just wanted to jump in here. Fancy Hands is a monthly virtual assistant service where you get a set number of 20-minute tasks, I want to say, from a pool of on-demand assistants. For example, most recently, I had them track down a part for Brin's CRV, and find a dinner meetup venue for me in Austin. Just a couple examples of what you might use them for.
1: That's right. Yeah. Oh, you're bringing back some memories. I was trying to see, you know, what are some other shows I might want to be on? So I kind of spiraled out to this huge list in terms of what's every show one of my guests have been on before. And so we built that out. And then, uh, yeah, I was using... Fancy Hands, because I found one really good one. That's been my experience with Fancy Hands, which is another service, is that most of the workers are pretty limited in their capabilities, in my own experience. I don't want to trash talk, you know, competitors, but things didn't go very well very often. But then I found this one person who was just rocking it. And I said, hey, you. And I, I asked her her by name. It's like, could I have this person just use hundreds of my requests to fill out this thing? And then she did. So I was glad because... I was having trouble using my fancy hands
2: requests. (laughs) And then we found this pathway. So that was one starter list there. Yeah, and then the kind of secondary way was exactly what you were saying. It wasn't the most strategic, but it was podcast industries that I liked listening to or things I was interested in. I would just cold email them. That was more the bespoke email outbound approach. What we've pivoted to is we actually found a really smart, coder in the Philippines who created a Python script that can pull some of the emails. So if we are looking for a specific industry or something like that, we can do that, sift through to find people who would likely be a good fit. If they haven't actually published a podcast in the past you know, six months, they probably aren't looking for our services. And if they only have a couple hundred typical downloads probably are also not looking for our services because they might not have monetized. They might not want to spend that money yet. So it's kind of finding that sweet spot right in the middle where they're not so big that they already have a full team, but they're right at that point where Pete was, where like, I'm getting this income, I'm getting my downloads up. I just need a little bit of help to get me to that next point. So that's really where we specialize now.
0: Okay. Yeah. Finding that customer sweet spot. Is there a way to get public download approximations or is this just kind of guessing based on where they were ranked or something?
1: Oh, there is, Nick. I thought I had like a super secret on my hands, but then I I learned that many people do this, so I'm not as clever as I thought. But a number of apps that you listen to podcasts on will tell you how many subscribers or listeners there are of that podcast on that app. So for example, if you go to Podbean, you can see how many people are subscribed to a given podcast on Podbean. And then if you do have a number of shows whose downloads you know, which you could find this over on AdvertiseCast that has published some numbers, you can make a little multiplier and guesstimate. Although now I think it's a lot easier if you just frankly go to Listen Notes, it'll tell you is a show like in the top 1% or top 5% of listenership. So that's a lot faster than than it used to be with my elaborate multiplier uh, spreadsheet that I made.
0: Okay. So yeah, I'm on Side Hustle Show. Podbean says 3.4 thousand followers. And then you could just say, well, Podbean has 5% market share, or 10% market share or something, and like, like extrapolate from there. Exactly. More on the cold email strategy, pricing, and hiring process in just a moment. But let's say that you've made your pitch and your prospect says yes. This is the magic moment where you get to fire up our sponsor, FreshBooks, and create a professional-looking, branded invoice in as little as 30 seconds. I don't care how long you've been in business, this never gets old. FreshBooks, if you're not familiar, is the number one invoicing and accounting solution for side hustlers and service entrepreneurs all around the world. How it works is FreshBooks automates and simplifies a ton of the annoying and often tedious tasks that come with running a business. I'm talking about stuff like creating, sending, and following up on invoices, Maybe it's tracking and managing your expenses or processing online payments. A couple months ago, you heard Chris Mistrick give the number one tip to build some systems, some automation, some consistent processes into your workflows. And FreshBooks is the tool to help you do that on the bookkeeping and accounting side for freelancers, service providers, agency owners. Myself, I've been a FreshBooks customer for years. I love to geek out on the numbers, so the reporting dashboard definitely appeals to me. But honestly, one of the best features is just being able to call them up for support. When you have a question, and you get to talk to a real human. Side Hustle Show listeners can take FreshBooks on a completely free 30-day test drive. No credit card required. Just go to freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the Side Hustle Show in the how did you hear about us?" section to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle to get more time back to build the business you love. Hey entrepreneurs, we know that anyone with a side hustle loves finding new ways to save. So if your business takes you on the road, sign up for a free membership with Hertz Business Rewards. Work trips, client meetings, industry conferences with Hertz Business Rewards. You'll save at least 20% every time you rent a car. And you'll save on more than just the daily rate. Members earn credits redeemable towards free rental days. It's also free to add an additional driver if any additional coworkers come along. And For those Gen Z entrepreneurs out there, no young renter fees. Plus, sign up for Hertz Business Rewards today and earn three times credits during your first 90 days. So whether you're traveling for a side hustle or a main hustle, join for free at Hertz.com slash business rewards. Applies to base rate, taxes, fees, and options excluded. Additional terms and exclusions apply. Visit Hertz.com slash business rewards to learn more. What was the template that you found to work for you if you're doing these mass outreach campaigns?
2: The main aspect I would use and integrate was provide something of value, but be super short. Just be really upfront. I don't think playing games in emails works. People are generally smart. They generally see through that. So we're just really upfront. Say, hey, we are a podcast service business. We have great rates. We do great work. If you're looking for this, I'd love to set up a time to chat. If not, you know, no worries. So just being really upfront and short, the longer the email, the less likely they're ever going to read any of it, you know, a few sentences and get to the point.
1: And that sales folk course, Brian, I remember it had a couple tips that were super helpful. And I might just contextualize, like we're not sending thousands of these a day. It's a pretty moderate number that go out and we started by using Mixmax and now we're using outreach.io as a software tool to help that along. But Brian, could you share, what were a couple of tips we picked up from that sales folk course that were like, oh, wow, let's make sure to always or never do this in our email?
2: <laughs> yeah, the length was a big one. And particularly using specific words. So it was things like free trial in there. Start to make Google a little bit nervous that you're uh, just a spammer. And we're not. We send, you know, 50 to maybe 75 emails a day. So it's not a huge amount. And making sure that you Follow those things, not saying, you know, complimentary or using a bunch of exclamation points. All of those put you directly into the spam filter. So that was one big tip. And then a lot of her tips were for more bespoke outreach. So when I'm trying to get someone really senior at a large company is where she was coming from. But the same tips apply. It was provide value, make them know that you're not just blanket emailing every single podcast out there. You're like, hey, you meet the criteria for a lot of our clients. And this is the type of work we've been able to do for them. This is the type of time we've been able to save for them. So yeah, that providing value, a lot of that came from her in the folk course.
0: Okay. Any links in that initial email?
2: No, we make sure not to put links right away because that also can make Google a little bit nervous. And that's more of a personal thing. I just today's day and age there's so many phishing emails out there that I don't click links so I was guessing that people also would not like to until they know us a little bit So
0: is a typical call to action or sign off just hit reply and we can set up a call or like how do you sign off
2: let's set up a call and then sometimes I do put in there hey just to let you know um, if we seem like a good fit the first week will be complimentary or the first set of deliverables. And that's so they can see the quality of work we do, and so we can see if they are the right partner for us as well,
0: okay. Kind of taking a page out of the Netflix playbook and say, "Hey, it's a free trial. You know, get get somebody hooked and prove your worth, and then they can uh, go from there. I like that. I was actually digging through my email just now to find my initial outreach from Carrie Green, who runs podcast Fast Track, who's been editing the show since 2016 they're 5 years deep into it and so he has responded to one of the very first messages in my welcome sequence and you know we go back and forth for a little bit he's asking some question and then he pitches himself as a guest on the show here's what i'm working on one of my businesses is this podcast editing service and i was like ha huh, you know what i've got a, a baby that's about to be born <laughs> i'm thinking this might be one of these tasks that i could probably start to delegate so just you know being in the right place at the right time and so is that part of the process here too? Do you, you know, once you reach the end of the list, is it, you know, start over at the beginning kind of a thing?
2: That's exactly it. If people are not looking for our services, and this is just a general sales thing that I learned very early on when I was a financial advisor. If someone doesn't need us then, there's no amount of things I can say about what we can do for them. So yeah, exactly like you said, being in the right place at the right time is 80% of sales, really.
1: With regard to the end of the list, first of all, it's going to be quite a while before we we are at the end of of the list and new podcasters are coming on all the time. And frankly, we're pretty excited because in a way, I, I think that's a lesson for entrepreneurs is that sometimes once you find something that's working, it's almost a little boring to just keep doing it. It's like, Hey, this works. Podcasters like what we have. There's a bunch of podcasters. Let's email them. It's like, that's almost kind of boring in terms of like it's working, which is great. That's what you want. But like the the intellectual challenge, the, the new thing to conquer, it's sort of like Brian and I both feel it. and So we're like holding ourselves back deliberately, but we almost can't wait until we get to the end of the list and then say, okay, given our skills, what's the next niche that we should really focus in on and use these outstanding workers to solve? And we already have a couple clients who are not at all podcasters. So we do that. But in terms of who we actively reach out to at the moment, the podcasters, and we're excited to see who it'll be later.
0: Is there a rule of thumb for you guys for how many team members you need to have per client or actually the other way around how many clients per team member like that golden ratio?
2: It is something that we are constantly trying to figure out. What we have kind of committed to from the beginning is when someone works with us, they'll get the same pro is what we call our virtual assistants. They'll get the same pro throughout their entire time with us as long as you know everything's working out. So it depends on how many hours that client needs, but we can't have one pro manage, anywhere from three to four podcasts or three to four clients, depending on, again, how frequently they post. If they only post every other week, they can handle more clients. If they post a couple times a week, probably four would be way too many just to be able to give the amount of time that we want them to spend on the podcast to that podcast. And then if they're the couple that are not podcasters, it's based on how many hours of work per week they have. So... Not a great number, anywhere from two to four, I would say, but uh, I wish we could have uh, more exact.
1: (laughs) But what's interesting about that number is, Nick, I've been startled, you know, like hanging out, podcast moving and talking to sort of other companies in this space. Like That number could be like 10, 20, 30 (laughs) for some other companies. And so part of me is like, hmm, there's probably some things we could be doing more efficiently. And the other part of me is thinking wow, we really offer a, a kind of a white glove level of service to our clients. That's cool. <laughs> it does seem
0: surprisingly low at first glance, because you're like, well, maybe those four clients are producing four to six hours of audio a week. So there's some editing time. But if this person is full time, like that gives them another 35 hours to write the show notes or anything. Like do the other uh, associated tasks and come up with social media or whatever else that you haven't done for them. So it, it is surprisingly low. But like you said, very white glove, very dedicated service.
2: What we found is for one podcast episode that's, you know, 45 to 60 minutes, kind of the standard podcast episode length. It'll take our pro anywhere from 10 to 15 hours of really dedicated work because part of that is the audio editing, but then it's also the graphic design, the show notes, the transcripts, creating some sort of email blast they can send out to their email list. So it's more intensive than just the audio editing, but it's not quite the $2,000 an episode high end for Ford style. It's, It's right there in the middle that seems like a perfect place for us right now.
0: Yeah, there's so much that goes into it. I remember I would tell people, they'd ask, hey, Nick, what do you do? It's like, well, I host this weekly show called the Side Hustle Show. And they're like, well, that's cool. What do you do the rest <laughs> of the time? <laughs> and it's like, well, there's you know, there's a little bit that goes into it. Right. What's a good take rate on the cold email, like that funnel from emails to replies to free trials to ultimately becoming a customer?
2: So what we've seen is from a you know a list of let's say 100 people that we target we'll usually get a response from 10 and one of those will be a client so we've got about a one percent conversion rate which is is pretty good for cold email marketing at all so we're we're pretty happy with that we think it's a uh, good number that if we stick with we'll be in a really good place
1: I'm also encouraged even just by at the top of the funnel with with the open rate. It fluctuates, but it is often around 40%, which is more than a number of like standard like email opt-in newsletters open rates. So I find that encouraging because Brian and I we, we don't want to make people's inboxes a sad place. <laughs> so we are very conscientious about that and of course complying with the the CAN-SPAM Act and and using a very narrow targeted list as opposed to everybody and their mom. So we're, we're following these guidelines, but I also find that encouraging that with that conversion rate and and that open rate, it feels like we are genuinely something that podcasters are pleased to have the option to consider in their life. And we have gotten almost none surly rude replies back, like, get the heck out of here. It's been quite rare.
0: It is. It's if you're coming to it from a place of, you know, reasonable levels of targeting it becomes compelling, and you know, I get these pitches too, where sometimes it's just completely irrelevant. But other times it's like, you know, I saw you respond to this help a reporter inquiry. We're a personalized PR service where we help you do that on a on a consistent basis. It's like, it's worth exploring. Like, well, cool, you know, how do you do it? What do you charge? Like, if it's targeted enough, then it, it comes across as much less spammy. I think you guys are going to love last week's episode. Brian, I know you mentioned listening to the show. So we had Dustin Lean on. He's talking about these virtual webinars, essentially virtual workshops, where he was getting in front of his target audience through partnerships. And he'd come on and he was doing, you know, e-commerce marketing, email marketing, SMS marketing for direct-to-consumer brands. And so he's trying to find people who have audiences of e commerce stores and shopify owners and e-commerce sellers and come on and do his workshop and the example he gave was like i'll how to come up with a great abandoned cart email sequence like something super specific, but he has now positioned himself as the expert, and maybe you guys come on and do your workshop on you know how to streamline your podcast production process or you know how we grew the show to sixteen million lifetime downloads through you know, outsourcing the hard parts or something like that. And you go that way, but definitely check that one out as a marketing tactic to check out anything else that has worked to just get in front of this target audience and get your name out there.
2: I would say the other big area for growth right now with us is just the referrals, getting referrals coming in as our clients start working with us for longer they see how much it's saving them. And podcasting is a pretty small community. So when they're talking to one of their other podcasting friends and saying, oh, well, my pro did this, and their their friend would like, oh, well, what's a pro? And then they you know, send them our way. I get on a call with them. And that's been a lot of our growth recently, really has just been the two of those. And I would say it's probably still maybe 75% outbound. But Getting 25 percent of the incoming leads being referrals is is great for me. I, I think that says a lot about how well our pros are taking care of our clients.
0: Yeah, now you're year and a half-ish into doing this with a concerted effort. You're around uh, 10 grand a month, monthly recurring revenue. Do you have a sense of the lifetime value, how long a customer tends to stick around?
2: yeah what uh, we've found is when when we're a good fit for each other, which part of that is is in working with them from the beginning, they stick around for a really long time. We've still got the first client that we ever signed on. The second client actually had to leave for a little bit because of financial reasons, but he's back. So we have a really long term relationship, which is what we're trying to build. That goes back to the we spend a lot of time on the podcast because we want to feel like a team member. So, long-term value, we'll probably know better in, you know, a year, another year, year and a half, but right now it seems really good.
1: Maybe it's infinite. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a very sticky service. Like as long as that host is committed to still producing that show every week and you know, once you have grown accustomed to a certain lifestyle of not having to do this part of the process anymore, It's really hard to bring that back onto your plate as long as the show is still generating revenue. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like a-n-d-s dot com slash side hustle start your business journey today with the help of taylor brands another marketing idea for you guys this was inspired by a photographer's podcast that i was listening to the service provider was called photographers edit in this case and it's a kind of like a post-production service for wedding photographers and other photographers we'll do the editing service right you go out you're the professional you take the pictures we'll make sure they look nice or at least do the 80 20 of that part of the process for you. But it was just straight up content marketing. Like we're interviewing other people in the photography niche. You know, how did they grow their business? And it was like a perfect alignment. And it was like, oh, this show is, you know, self self titled sponsor. You know, it's sponsored by Photographers Edit. So the podcast for podcasters is, uh, is coming down the pipeline there.
2: It's a great idea.
0: Talk to me about the day to day operations here. So uh, if I sign up as a client, and you assign me a, a pro based on you know who's available and the type of show that I have, do I then just communicate directly with them?
2: Yeah, that really depends on the client. We want to make it as easy and seamless as possible. We have some clients where they keep me in the loop pretty well, and I know exactly what's going on. And then we have a few clients where... I haven't heard from them in the past two or three months, except for when I you know, check in, say, hey, is everything going well? And they just say, yep, X pro is doing great. Thanks for putting us in contact. So it really depends. We can do anything from being super involved and having the client be really involved with the pro to completely uninvolved. If the client just wants to do the interviews and they don't want to deal with anything else, we can do that as well.
0: Ever had anybody, either client or worker-wise, try and cut you out of the picture and say, look, I'm doing the work, I'm communicating directly with the client anyways, like, look, you could just pay me directly and save some money and you know maybe even a little extra and then you'll still come out ahead?
2: We haven't had that issue. We do have contracts with the pros and the clients. So that hasn't been an issue so far. But most of the the reason I wouldn't say is the contracts. A lot of it is the community we're building in the company. The pros really like working for us. We we pay them really, really well. We pay for the healthcare. We have a fun collaborative environment. So that hasn't really been an issue. Will it be an issue as we grow? Maybe. But you know, we'll cross that bridge if we ever have to get there.
0: <laughs> okay. It's always something that comes up. It's like, well, why wouldn't I just go direct? They call it, I guess, platform disintermediation. It's something that you know Upwork is constantly battling against in some of these other marketplaces. Like if you hire somebody on Fiverr, like if you write email or Skype, like you get a big red
1: box around your message, no communicating outside of the platform and stuff like that. Well, and I think another difference is that, you know, we're hiring the pros full time. So we are absorbing the risk associated with growth or You know, we start with a client and they're like, oh, actually, I don't want to do this after all, like sort of a a misfit discovery at the beginning. And so it would be sort of a riskier proposition for the pro to not have the steady salary we provide sort of regardless of their client workload. And so what's funny is our revenue has been growing steadily, but our profit is, is quite fluctuating based upon what is our utilization percentage in that particular month. Is there a sweet spot of utilization percent? I like how you phrase that. Oh, ideally, almost 100 is the sweet spot.
2: (laughs) Sure. What we shoot for is 35 client hours for the pros per week, 35 to 37. And then, you know, three to five hours of internal trainings and meetings and, and things like that. Again, our goal is to get up to that 90 to 95% utilization all the time. What we really need is about maybe 60 to 70% utilization just to break even when you factor in. In the Philippines, there's something called 13th month. So, you don't pay for 12 months of salary, you pay for 13. So, we have to factor that in. We pay for health insurance, all that type of stuff. So, yeah, we have to be above 75%. And that 90% is the goal.
1: And I think that's another reason why, in terms of why don't they just cut us loose, is that our margins are not huge. I mean, for the pricing, we were thinking, if we could price it to be just under minimum wage-ish in the U.S. for the end consumer. So it's like, that's an unbeatable. and, And not like U.S. federal minimum wage, but like, you know, certain... Certain states, and and like $15 an hour is sort of like a a pseudo minimum wage that sort of applies in a lot of places in the U.S. So we're like, boy, if we could be priced at just under that, that would would be like a crazy bargain. But then we'll also pay our pros an amount which is nicely above what they would get, you know, working at like, you know, the top newspaper in the country or there are other alternatives that they could genuinely be looking at then that's the sweet spot. And it doesn't leave a huge amount of margin, but it means that if folks were to cut us loose, it's not like they're going to be doubling their compensation. So I think that reduces the incentive a bit there.
0: Okay. And that's interesting. So one point of contrast here is this hiring full-time versus in the cleaning example, was everybody was contractors. Like if you're not cleaning, you're not getting paid kind of thing. So it was very much an on-demand workforce versus having somebody on staff, dedicated full time. On the 13th month thing, do you guys just amortize that out, like add whatever it is, 8.25%, like whatever it is, like on a monthly basis, or do you save it all up for December and say, like, here's the Christmas bonus? We do save it for
1: December. Actually, I don't think it even occurred to us to try it the other way. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't yet, but that sounds a
2: lot easier cash flow wise. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. If you run into the problem of like, that was all great, but we're still expecting. Oh. A bonus.
2: <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah,
0: they might. Is there a target? I guess gross margin that you might want to play with, or somebody considering a similar agency model might want to play around with. Because in the in the cleaning business, they said I think sixty percent went to the cleaners, forty percent went to them to cover overhead, marketing, admin, and profit. Is there something similar here?
2: That's actually pretty darn close to what we're shooting for. We're shooting for that 30 to 40% gross. And then on our side, you know, it, there's software you have to pay for. There's things like that, but it's not a super cash intensive business. So we're we're pretty happy with that 30%. We think that's a, a great place to shoot for.
1: And that number is, when you talk about agencies, I've heard that elsewhere in terms of like a speaker's bureau, that could be a common fee in that, uh, 30%. And I, and I don't quite know what Upwork and others charge, but I think that is in the zone. Like, I think you'll have a hard time. Well, I remember when I was in consulting, they they sort of billed me out at eight times what they paid me. But I was also junior at a consulting firm, which had a huge brand and book of business. And, you know, that, that multiple is a lot smaller for, like, I guess the partners and the senior managers in, in the way that works. So, So yeah, you can make an argument for a lot of figures, but I I think if you're if you're primarily playing matchmaker or the lead generator, then thirty ish
2: percent feels good in the belly.
1: How many pros on the team now?
2: Yes, we have seven full time pros.
0: Any tools or software you're using to manage this remote time zone? Everybody working virtually, like it seems kind of like, oh, you know, is this person clocked in today? Are they doing their work? Like, how do you keep track of all that stuff?
2: We've gone through a few where we've settled now, as far as for clocking hours and all that type of stuff. We use Clockify, I love the functionality. We also give vacation days, so you can request vacation through there, you can request sick leave, it's really nice. And then for the meetings. We use Google Meet predominantly and Slack and things like that. All of the standard startup software, it seems like, in today's day and age. Yeah, the managing the time zone is just meeting at odd times for me. So I typically try to meet with the pros during the start of their day. So it'll be, you know, I'll have meetings from seven p.m. till 10 or 10.30 p.m. with the pros. And then with clients, it's during the day.
0: Do you find you have to do a lot of upfront training? Like here's how to edit in Audacity. Here's how to use Alphonic. Here's the show note formula that you ought to use. Or are people coming in with a baseline knowledge of that stuff?
2: I would say there's a little bit of both. We definitely do a lot of training, but typically for the show notes side, the people we're hiring have already shown that they can do that really well. We have them do test samples for writing so their writing is already good we don't really have to teach that the audacity and isotope and things like that does take a lot more training so yeah that you know a couple of weeks though we can have someone ramped up pretty well
1: but i think it's so great is when you hire fantastic people like some of them haven't done a lot of audio editing before but they can acquire those skills pretty quickly because we got some great folks and and, and i guess we didn't talk much about this, but I guess while we're talking about training, I, I also want to talk about how we, the overarching philosophy is, is don't tell me what you can do, show me what you can do. And how can we disqualify a candidate as quickly as possible? For example, we're going to pay between this range. Does that work for you? And for the vast majority, they say, yeah, that's great. That's a nice little upgrade. And then some's like, no, I'm a senior uh, executive producer at CNN. And I was like, okay, well, fair enough. We'll, we'll pass there. And then another one of my favorites is, I'll say, hey, what's wrong with this sentence and write a better one? And and the sentence will be something like, "Um, I have been known to enjoy consuming a prodigious array of assorted tomes within the confines of my Amazon Kindle e-reader device. Now, what's wrong with that sentence is it's way too many words and horrible. (laughs) Um, and, And so a better sentence would be, I like reading books on my Kindle. And so we sort of see can you identify that? Or, or I say, hey, let's say I ask you to do this task for me. What would be the clarifying questions you would need to ask? And so by sort of whittling them down quickly, and then as we get deeper into the process, it gets pretty extensive. It's like they spend five hours creating some some writing output for us, and we pay them for this time. But at that point, we only have just a few finalists. So we're not paying 100 people for that. We're paying maybe six, and we are hiring maybe one to 2% of Applicants who at the starting point. So when you go through all of that, lo and behold, they pick up training really quick and easily.
0: (laughs) I've had a similar experience where it feels kind of like a needle in a haystack search, but there's definitely some really, really talented people to be found there. I like this idea of kind of just narrowing it down. Like this is part of the interview process and then doing a more extended, you know, paid trial after the fact, uh, you know, for the top candidates there. Are you guys doing? Like just Skype text interviews seems to be the standard. Are you guys jumping on a Zoom call? How do you handle that
2: for the face to face interview? Yeah, it's Google Meet. For the initial you know questions, we use Typeform. Uh, it's a pretty pretty solid software to filter through, and we can you know just export the results to an Excel file, kind of look through. And as Pete was saying, that ability to quickly sort through, you know, 100, 200, 300 applicants, that Excel file really helps. We can say, oh, well, uh, you chose the wrong one for this critical reasoning. So, well, we can mark them off. We can go through that way pretty quickly. But then the face-to-face interview is really the final step. They've already done quite a bit of work for us. And we don't even look at their resume until the end. We don't, as Pete said, we don't care about that. We want to see what they can do for us.
0: Okay. And this is primarily... OnlineJobs.ph is the you know cast a wide net of of applicants, or is there a different is there a different tool that we should be aware of?
1: That that's where we started, um, but again, referrals has been has been playing out nicely for us in terms of the pros say, hey, I really like working here, and we say, well, hey, you know what it takes to get through the application process. If you know some folks who you think are are sharp enough and up to the challenge who would like working here, let let us know. And so that's been the combo is OnlineJobs.ph and then. Them. I think we've also done a little bit of, of direct LinkedIn action in terms of like, w- what are the most compelling outlets for writing in these countries? And then say, hey, if you're looking for a change, <laughs> come on by. And, and we're hopefully um, going to be uh, visiting the Philippines shortly and then building some relationships with professors at the, the top universities. Because so, the age range varies wildly. Like some are, are somewhat recent college grads and some graduated uh, quite some time ago.
0: Okay. Fair enough. What's next for you guys? Where do you want to take this thing?
2: Yeah. So what's next is hopefully turning this from a side hustle for me to a full-time gig for me relatively soon, probably within the next four to six weeks. I'll be diving into this full-time to really grow it. And that's really what's next. We're going to try to, instead of having seven pros have 17 and then 70 and just kind of grow it.
1: Brian's really the, the muscle (laughs) and <laughs> in the, in the brain uh, in, in terms of like the, the sheer number of hours. And so it's a ton of fun for me, frankly, because I get to chat with Brian for an hour and then you know maybe do a, a little bit of leverage work here and there for maybe an hour or two a week to keep things moving along, whereas, whereas Brian does the stuff. So for me, it very much is still my, going to be my side hustle. My main hustle being how to be awesome at your job and and coaching and training and education sorts of things. And then my side being ooh, you know, let's let, let's play strategy, entrepreneur, outsourcing, business, growing as a break for a couple hours a week.
0: Yeah, well, it's really cool to see what you guys have built, and and I really appreciate you sharing kind of the ins and outs and ups and downs of doing it because it's something that could be applied across any number of of different niches. I mean, years ago we heard from uh, Design Pickle and Russ Perry over there. basically the same model, like find qualified designers, find people who need design help and mash them together. And he built a huge business uh, on the back of of that pretty simple promise there. But uh, again, awesomepros.co. Let's wrap this thing up with a number one tip for Side Hustle Nation from each view. Pete, kick us off.
1: Oh, sure thing. Well, I, I think the thing that's made um, How to Be Awesome at Your Job and Awesome Pros both successful, whereas I've tried a lot of things that have not been successful, is just that upfront validation of your concept, surveying folks, interviewing folks, and the best validation of all, when multiple people give you money for a product or service and are pleased to have done so and want to do it again and tell their friends, then you got something. Yes, that's a good sign. So run with it. And if possible, I might say, perhaps don't quit your main hustle until you've got some some great validation up front.
0: That's right. Be awesome at your day job, but don't quit your day job just yet. All right, Brian, what about you?
2: Education is key. Everything I've had to do in this business, I've never done before, really, And the way I was able to learn that is through podcasts like yours, through books, through YouTube. So setting aside an hour a day, an hour and a half a day, if you can, to really focus on education is so big. Most people in the world don't do an hour a week of education. So you can just be so much further ahead by spending that really small amount of time in the grand scheme of things.
0: Yeah, it's very true. Really appreciate you guys jumping on again, awesomepros.co. Thanks so much for joining me, and we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you. Thanks. All righty. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Pete and Brian from Awesome Pros. A couple of things that stood out to me. The first was solving your own problem, scratching your own itch, as they say. Pete was and really still is a part of the podcasting community. So he understood the pain points as a participant. In the industry as an insider so to turn that around you got to ask yourself well what groups communities industries are you currently a part of today and i think just by listening you're going to start to hear the common questions or complaints or gripes that come up and you may already know what those are so what are you and your peers struggling with because on the other side of that struggle might just be your next side hustle the second thing that stood out to me was pete's line we're not super innovative to me, that's an inspiring soundbite because it showcases the fact that there's margin to be made without inventing some new technology, without raising venture capital, without coming up with something you know never before seen. And services like this, like Awesome Pros, have been around for years, yet they're still able to come in, carve out a niche, and earn some market share, in part because you know it's a rising tide of interest in podcasting, but it doesn't always have to be that way. It doesn't take a revolutionary business idea. You can do something that's already been done It's already been proven and put your own unique spin on it. In fact, I put together a list of 101 different service business ideas that might be ripe for this type of productized service or drop servicing model that you can download for free at SideHustleNation.com slash awesome or through the link, uh, show notes link in your episode description on your podcast player app. And the third thing, I know I only promised two, but the third thing was the recurring revenue element of this model. If you can solve a problem for a customer, great. If you can solve a recurring problem for a customer, that's even better. And so I think services like podcast production, like home cleaning, like pet waste removal, uh, Erica Krupin, like social media, like SEO content creation, those are all well-suited for monthly subscriptions because they solve an ongoing problem. So again, SideHustleNation.com slash awesome is where you find the show notes for this episode and that list of 101 different service business ideas big thanks to Pete and Brian for sharing their insight. Thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring this week. Again, Side Hustle Show listeners can start your 30-day completely free trial at freshbooks.com slash side hustle. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.